Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Alex Lewis. This week we have a repeat guest on the show, Mally Wind Farm GM Hao Falls. Hao's episode was the most downloaded Taiwan Talk podcast in 2018, so I thought let's run it back and give the people what they want. This is a timely interview as well as we talk about changes in Taiwan's approach towards offshore wind energy. Just as today, Danish power company Orsted is suspending investment in offshore wind power development programs here in Taiwan. So let's jump into the conversation. Um, so let's talk about the referendums. Well, before you do that, let okay. me ask you a question. Please. When you came into this room, what's the first thing you did? You turned on the lights. I turned on the lights, yeah. You turned on the lights and then you turned some more off. At home, the first thing you do when you walk into your house is turn on the lights. Turn on the lights. And when you plug in your cell phone and want to recharge it, you plug it in and you expect, you just naturally expect the power to be there. First world country, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a first world country. But do you stop to consider it's coming from nuke or it's coming from coal or it's coming from gas or it's coming from solar or it's coming from wind? You don't care. Yeah. You don't care as long as you can flip on that switch. And and I'm and I'm bringing this up because, you know, you talk about the the referendum um on on the nuke plants and yeah. you talk about alternative energy. You know, as we're going to talk today, What's the energy mix and what are people willing to accept going forward? What do you think it should be? You know, I was born and raised in my energy life in the nuclear industry. Mm-hmm. The thing about nukes in Taiwan is when you look at the environment, the the air pollution, the the, the climate change, it's probably the cleanest form of energy, reliable energy that we have. It's cheap even when you consider in the shutdown and costs yeah. it's less than coal it's efficient the you can store five years worth of energy for one nuke plant at the nuke plant mm-hmm. with the fuel rods it's dependable it's dependable when you look at taiwan security if there was ever a blockade from let's say mainland then the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to start losing coal and you're going to start losing gas. But you can have five years worth of energy stored in these nuke stations. So mm-hmm. you can you can still have, what, 6,000, 8,000 megawatts of power for emergency needs for up to five years. So security reasons, it's good to have them. And the first thing I would shut down before the nuke stations is the coal stations. That yeah. would be my personal opinion uh, but how has the like the, you know the scrapping of the nuclear free plan how's that impacted uh, your wind farm it hasn't impacted our wind farm at all yet and it's not going to impact the one that we have now but it seems to be already impacting the offshore guys the government seems to be not as anxious to drive offshore energy now that could be because of the referendum Mm-hmm. Or that could be because some of the realities of offshore wind is setting in, including costs and, and the development and how long it's going to take. And a lot of the companies who have come over here, and rightfully so, are are really kind of protesting and not real happy with the current developments. The Taiwan offshore wind uh, people were told... They were going to get a very high feed-in tariff rate mm-hmm. and that they were going to be allowed to 
have a higher feed-in tariff rate for the first 10 years, and then it would be stepped down to basically half of that for the next 10 years so that they could quickly recuperate their investment costs. Right, yeah, to make and it feasible, basically. To make it feasible. Um, and so recently, and I say recently within the last week or two weeks, um, the government has has decided to lower the feed-in tariff rates by 13% for offshore. Um, and they've also decided to scrap the step down, the, you know, the step down tariff feed in rate. And they have a proposal to limit the size of the offshore generators, each one down to like 3,600 kilowatts each. The, the latest technology is the one they want to put in are 5,000 kilowatts. And nobody knows why they've decided to cap the size of the generators offshore, and it's mostly the European suppliers that are that are coming over here to do the offshore because they have the experience. They've never heard of this, and they've also said you're asking for older technology. So there's there's just been a lot of changes for the offshore industry guys, and they've come over here for the last several years uh, with high anticipation of what they're going to install and what they're going to spend and how long it's going to take. And to this point, it just hasn't happened. They're far, far, far behind. We don't, They don't have the install boats. They don't have the maintenance boats. They don't have – they've got two turbines still installed. I think they're working on two more, but that's that's it. Wait, two offshore wind farms or two, two offshore turbine. wind turbines. Total. Total. They're behind. And there hasn't been a lot of communication about it, it seems. I went to a meeting with the – ECCT, the European Chamber of Commerce, Taiwan, the Alternative Energy Committee, and we had like an emergency meeting to discuss these points that I was just bringing up to you, the the change in the tariff rates, the change in the way they're going to pay the tariff rates, the change in the turbine status, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and try to get an explanation of why. And the ECCT was like, it seems like the Taiwan government is taking the French model versus the English model. Where the French model was, well, even before the industry starts, we're going to we're going to start regulating it and regulating the cost, regulating the tariff rates, regulating how quickly we want to build these things. And if you look, there's not much wind turbine going on in France. It's kind of a failed industry. Where in the UK, they they came out with a plan. They stuck with the plan. This is the rate. This is how we're going to develop it. This is the time periods. And they stuck with it. And once they got into a developed industry, then they decided that they could change the regulations. We could, we could install them a little slower. We could, we could have more onshore production of of the parts and the components, like a localized industry. We can turn down the tariff rates. But that was after the industry got started. And that's basically what the ECCT, the the Alternative Energy Wind Committee, is pushing to follow what you said originally. Let's get it going. Let's get it started. And let's turn it down after that. Yeah, it's basically follow in the footpaths of a successful uh, implementation rather than a failed one in France. Yes. But if you remember right, when I was here the last time, I think I I think I told you that the offshore industry is having problems and struggles to get started up and and maybe they're trying to push it too hard because because they want a 20% alternative energy grid by 2025 
and they they want to do localized components and manufacturing, and, it, and it's not there yet. So I think what I told you is still true. There's still a big struggle for the offshore wind industry. But I think the, these new policies that the government wants to implement is even going to make it harder for these guys to do it. And I'm not against offshore energy, not at all. It's just they've got to find a smooth path to implement it and follow it. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't happened yet. And I think these offshore wind guys who spent millions of dollars to be here to get where they are today are suddenly being told, we're changing the rules. Yeah. They're not happy. So what's the sentiment there? They, are they thinking about pulling out or they ever, they've already you know, sunk a lot of costs? In yeah, they've this. sunk a lot of costs and, and nobody's talking about pulling out. But I think they're trying to work um, closer with the Bureau of Energy and the uh, Ministry of Finance and the MOEA to to try to come to an understanding that they need to follow the path that was laid out originally um, and maybe even change it because the original path was let's do all this localization of the generators and the satters and the windings and the blades and everything. That really has, I think that's been one of the slowdown factors of, of getting offshore energy going. Instead of bringing over bringing over initially the generators from like Siemens and and Vestas and maybe Mitsubishi people and installing them and then slowly developing your own offshore industry. Let me cut in really quickly just to tell you a bit more context and about some recent developments in the wind power development programs here in Taiwan. So Danish power company Orsted is suspending investment in offshore wind power development programs here in Taiwan amid what it calls is a reevaluation of its investment in the country. So Orsted says it has informed its supply chain of the suspension of operations and of ongoing contracts to install wind power facilities in the West Coast. So according to Orsted, it's not withdrawing from the Taiwan market but is concerned about the unstable investment environment here following controversial changes in the feed-in tariff rate. So the government of Taiwan has said the feed-in tariff rate could be cut by 12% to 5.1 NT for this year, which has seen other foreign offshore wind power developers threaten to reconsider their investment projects here as well. So now you know the most recent developments, let's get back to the conversation with Hal. This sounds like you know, the Taiwanese government wants to, you know, have their cake and eat it as well, you know? You know, Taiwan has been really good of manufacturing, learning an industry and being able to manufacture that industry as you as you move forward. They've always been really good at it. And they're trying to do it in the in the alternative energy sector. They've they've done that very successfully in the in the uh solar, solar sector. I mean, we've got a big solar production sector here. I think all the solar panels installed here are from Taiwan. So that's really good. And they're trying to do the same thing on the wind side. But building wind generators is a whole lot harder than building solar panels. Yeah, it seems more involved. I remember last time you said that, yeah, you know, getting the uh, wind turbines and all the, you know, manufacturing stuff of, you know, all that stuff here localized is, is all well and good. But to install them, offshore in the sea you need like a specialized boat you need all these yep. other things and you know yeah you have to take that into account as well right yes and if if you're going to build a 5000 kilowatt generator maybe you have companies here like teco 
that are today they can build a 50 or 100 kilowatt uh, generator. And it's so much different, especially when you're going offshore. I know they want some of the Taiwan uh, generator manufacturers to be able to manufacture these things. But it's not there yet. And it's going to take time to get there. So if they've been delaying the offshore industry to get this to that to that point, well, this is this is what you're ending up with. Nothing's happening. Yeah. Okay. At the same time, we could be we could be focusing on onshore. Ah, well, hey, perfect segue, Hal. Thanks for that. So, tell me about the development of your wind farm. First, Miali, and I understand you're expanding. We're trying to expand. You know, with some of the new EPA laws about where you're allowed to build these things and where you're not allowed to build these things. And being close to occupied residents, it's just kind of limiting where we're able to put our generators. We would like to completely change out every one of the generators that we now have in Holong. But because right now each one of our turbines is 2,000 kilowatts, we'd like to change it out to 4,000 kilowatts. And put in bigger towers and more efficient turbines. But in the last 15 years, obviously, housing has moved in around our area. So mm-hmm. if we want to change out, we would probably be able to change nine of them, maybe 10. Out of? Out of, in that area, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some in Junon. We have four over there. There's there's businesses that have been built right, right down you know, I mean, the blades go over the businesses, so it's that close. Wow. I don't know if we'd be able to rebuild those or not. I mean, the new these blades are 35 meters. The new blades are 65 meters. So, <laughs> I mean, they stretch out a lot. Yeah. Well, not 65. They're only 60 meters, but whatever, uh-huh. each blade. So uh, when we first built our, tur- our wind turbine, the EPA laws – said if we were in an area and we were under 50 megawatts, we didn't have to do an envir- environmental impact assessment. Uh, the new laws, we do have to do one. And if there's residents within 250 meters, then we either can't build or we have to have their permission to build. I see. Yeah. So it just makes it just exponentially harder, um, I guess, right? Yeah. Yes. Um it's hard, but there's well, something that they're doing in Europe is called uh, community wind farms. So uh, an investment group like us, wind owners like us, would, would let's say we want to rebuild in Holong where we are now. Then it would require us to have a city hall meetings and invite in the community and say, okay, you guys are within this limit. We still want to build it here, but we want to give you some ownership in the in the wind farm. We want to give you you know a certain percentage, a small percentage, because we know you know first of all the EPA law says we have to, and second of all, you guys are going to be the ones that are most affected by this thing. So if we work together, then we can profit, and you can profit, and we can we can have like a shared ownership. They call it community community wind farms and. Apparently they're pretty successful in certain places in Europe, so that would that might be the step that we're going to have to take mm. to rebuild. I think we can end it there. Is there anything else we want to talk about? I really think Taiwan has to look at 
I mean, the alternative energy sector. I, I started this. You turn on a light switch, right? And you would just expect the light to go on. But where's where's the energy coming from? People have to decide. Nobody wants a power station in their backyard. Nobody wants a wind turbine in their backyard. Nobody wants solar cells sitting, although solar is not such a bad thing, but it's not that efficient. Nobody wants coal in their backyard, uh, gas turbines. There's one thing that I wanted to bring up. One area that has not been explored in Taiwan. There's there's really two types of energy, okay? There's what they call distributed power where you have one big power generator and you generate the power and you distribute it all over the all over the valley, all over the island. And there's also what they call distributed generation where you have smaller generators uh, like micro generators, like wind turbines or solar cells and, and batteries. So you can have a solar cell at your house and battery storage. That would be distributed generation. You can have a small wind turbine at your house. That is distributed generation. You're not totally reliant on a big nuclear station or you're not totally reliant on coal or gas or you, you go into residence if you have like a, an apartment building. Uh, in, in Taiwan, you have a you have a generator, and I don't mean diesel generator, some kind of you know alternative energy generation mm-hmm. to power that building to power that business. If you could put up a a four megawatt turbine wind turbine to power a factory, it's not that efficient, but it's still distributed generation. When it's operating, you supply your own power. Maybe the wind isn't so high or the sun isn't so great. You can rely on the grid for a backup, but you still have distributed generation. There's a system that seems to be growing in the States. It's uh, You can look this up, Bloom, B-L-O-O-M, bloomenergy.com. They do fuel cells, but it's not hydrogen fuel cells. They have a solid... Uh, solid oxide, I believe, uh, fuel cell where they're processing natural gas. Just like at your house. You know, mm-hmm. you have natural gas coming into your house. They process natural gas instead of burning it. Mm-hmm. It's very clean energy. It's very high efficiency energy. It's quiet. It's like a fuel cell. Mm-hmm. There's no noise. Yeah. They generate up to 300 kilowatts each one. It's about the size of a car. You can put those any place. You can put those in factories. You can put those on this building. Maybe you could put one in a in a big housing block where you're generating your own energy in a housing block where you have the grid backup. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, yes, we have wind farms. But if you took an individual wind farm and powered a business, that would be distributed generation. Right now, our wind farm is powering the grid. That's just distributed distribution. That's power distribution. Mm-hmm. I think, I really think, for a proper energy mix that not just Taiwan, but most countries need to start looking at individual distributed generation. It's a solution. Thank you.
Thank you, Hao, for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure. And that's it for this week's Taiwan Talk. I'm Alex Lewis. Thank you.